This is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jans Leifler. Central Works reinventing theater one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring The Yay and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara. Speaking of... Central Works, we have Gary Graves himself. Gary, welcome back to the A. It's been, um, you were episode 23 back in July of... 23, really? Wow. (laughs) July July of uh, 2017. Damn. Yeah. How you doing? Seems like only yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) I know, time flies, time flies. What are you guys at now? Episode 500 or what? This will be 277. (laughs) <laughs> I know, it's insane. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. And you know, everybody's been on this show. Yeah, we've tried to get everyone, and it's one of those things where, you know, if you produce one little thing, all of a sudden other people come on. So we've had producers, we've had directors, we've had writers, we've had singers. We need to get some more techs. It's been a while since we've tech, had a tech Yeah, person. exactly. We've had some folks who are light board operators, sound operators. We've had uh, Dr. Stephanie Johnson. Yeah, I was just going to say, so I'm sure Stephanie's been on. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 exactly. But yeah, we definitely do need more tech. But um, it's one of those things where, you know, if you, what is that line from um, the Kevin Costner film? Uh, if you build it, they will come. Oh, uh, Field, <laughs> Field of, of Dreams. Dreams. Yeah, yeah. So it's been. Is that what we are, really? <laughs> no, it's been wonderful. And of course, A we. Field of Dreams. Yeah, and, and we have you and. <laughs> It's a strange dream. Exactly. We have you to thank um, for that. You oh, know, wow. you're, as, as well as there are a bunch of folks who have contributed, but really Central Works. We've been asking for a sponsor, and out of the blue, you just called us and said, "Hey, we want to contribute," oh. and, and that was fantastic. Uh, we're very proud of the show and all that you guys have done. Um, and yeah, I was here six years ago, but my you know working relationship with you guys goes way back beyond that right exactly mesmer was uh what is it 2012 i remember that what's that 11 years ago yeah Mm -hmm. and you know we had aaron henney on i think i told you that. oh when yeah you did tell me that a couple of months ago yeah because theater dybbuk you know he's running theater in la and they did a show here in the bay area yeah Oh, well, yeah, it was, yeah, right, right, and right. So, I didn't uh, get to see him in that visit. But well, right. it was all it was quick, you know, like very, very weekend, quick. two weekends <laughs> yeah, here. We were, we were running something, <clears throat> Yeah, it didn't work out. Yeah. But Norman, you and I, wow, we go back to... Lottomania. Lottomania. <laughs> that was like 2000, right? I mean, that was like... It's something insane like Maybe that. 2000, and, yeah, I think it was 2000. It's early 2000. Maybe 1999 yeah. even. I don't know. Really? I, I'm Jeez. not sure. I remember it was weird because we were talking, we were planning to do the show and then we ended up at uh, UC. Yeah, yeah, We yeah. ended up at Cal. <laughs> yeah. That was unexpected. Yeah, it was like, tough. Oh, okay. It, it was tough to get audience there, but it was a great show. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. I still have those songs in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was 20, 23 years ago. I, I think it was 2000. I think Lottomania was 2000. That little area of time is a weird one, because 2001 is easy to kind of glom onto. This happened before, this happened after. Yeah, right. There's the marker. And, yeah. yeah, I was in rehearsals um, for 9-11. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how I always remember, I because too. I showed up for a rehearsal, and they were like, you, we're canceling rehearsals today. We don't know what's happening next. I'm like, yeah, well, right. we're under attack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was doing, I was doing a show based on Divine Comedy when oh. that happened mm-hmm. <laughs> at Cal. Um, yeah, Wonderfully so suddenly, um, 
the question of how do you make hell immediate mm-hmm. was answered by you right. know those famous images yeah. of the towers coming down and yeah. all the horror around that. Yeah, uh, Kim. I remember we had Kim Donovan on, and she talked about being in New York during. Oh, 2011. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, 2001. 2001, yeah. And um, yeah, it had a. Uh, I mean, you think talk about a moment to introduce us to the 21st century mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah. a brutal way. Yeah, yeah, that's such a marker. Yeah, I'm fascinated. By the way, um, Mallory just texted us. Uh, she we were supposed to uh, bring her on, but I guess uh, we. It's one of those things where you know, which social media do you contact people on? Right. <laughs> people are on Facebook. Some are on Snapchat. Some are on Instagram or whatever. So the wires were a little crossed. And she's taking care of a baby. So she uh, oh. a baby dog. <laughs> A I puppy. It's a puppy. So thank you for inviting. <laughs> I just woke puppy. up and hadn't gotten to sleep in a week, so I'm moving a little slow today. Okay, that's fine. But no, Mallory's been fantastic. Ooh, well, but puppy. it is, it, you know, when you talk about... Is Mallory like a co-host? Well, not necessarily. She's sort of come on. You know, we're sort of, I mean... Was she going to be a guest today? She was right. going to be a guest. Oh, uh, and she's helped us out. She runs KCBS Radio. Oh. And she so not She just works for them. Well, I mean, she's a producer. She, uh, she's, she's, one of, she, she's one of the producers. And yeah. so she's been helping us us out and just letting us know technically you know what we can do and how we can market ourselves a little bit more and and that sort of stuff so she's been really really influential and she's also one where norman she's been on stage with you she's been on stage with me i think you've directed her i've directed her yeah yeah so i think i'm one of her first professional directors yeah so um so you know category you probably are used to but i'm still i mean that happened with um uh, word for Word did Citizen this fall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they lost their lead actor a week or so before Tech, and which you experience you also know. <laughs> yeah, just recently. And yeah. so they got just this young year. man, and he came on, and he was like, I'm watching the show, and I know that somebody has been replaced. I didn't know who. And he was fantastic. <laughs> he was wonderful. So I go up afterwards to say, man, that was incredible work. Just as a member of the Word for Word group, I'm like, I, I got to give you props for that. You really, you stepped up. You really did it. And he's like, yeah, Norman, it's really great to see you. And I'm like, hmm? And he says, um, you you were teaching at Soda, remember? And I'm like, oh, wait. So I think of you as a high school student. But that was like four or five years ago. Oh, my God. And you're graduating, grown up, and acting. Okay. Yeah. It's just a weird world. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, we have some perspective now. Mm-hmm. It's the decades pile <laughs> I'm trying themselves. to get used to it, but it still freaks me almost yeah. every time. Like, that day I had to come back to him later <laughs> and just sort of check in with him and go, okay, I have to just tell you that surprised the fuck out of me, man. I, yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to sort of yeah, get back into <clears throat> events in the world. You know, our tagline is life in the theater and the theater of life. And I don't uh, know why yeah. I just came up with it, but it's amazing how life events affect writers and producers and theater creators in creating, you know, things. Like, you know, you talked about doing the divine, um, you know, the divine comedy. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. During September 11th. Yeah. And, you know, this year we've dealt with uh, tech, we've dealt with war, uh, we've dealt with all sorts of things that, you know, writers are putting into their works. Have you noticed that? I mean... Oh, hell yeah. I yeah. mean, we do all new plays, so it happens all the time. We just did um, uh, our latest Patricia Milton play. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the Engine of, of Our, our Disruption. disruption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had her and Mike Tootin on. Yeah, right. Mike was just here. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, you know, it was a play about AI 
that in development was really chasing the headlines mm -hmm. you know i mean uh, you know trying to trying to keep up with everything that's going on and it, it just blew up i mean patricia started working on that play i don't know so uh, a year or two ago mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a while in development and so you can imagine over the last year or two oh yeah the way <laughs> artificial intelligence has just exploded um and the play was you know the the play was trying to deal with the central character was an an ethicist mm -hmm. um so it was the ethics of ai um and that's a really yeah. you know fertile is, subject right yeah now. which is one of the things i mean i think it's one of the jobs to be done i think with plays as opposed to let's say i mean some you see some television shows deal with hard hitting issues and very few Occasionally, movies will do it, but really, plays really get into the heart of what's happening in our lives right now. You know, Patricia Milton, you know, talks about AI and the ethics of it and what happens if it's mistreated, or even that one beautiful scene where she talks about how the main character um, has a miscarriage or loses a baby, mm -hmm. but she had been, you know, going on um, Amazon or whatever to shop for baby products, and she's still getting those advertisements even after the baby's gone. And how psychologically that affects her. Mm -hmm. And people in the audience can, are like, you know, I remember walking out of the theater with Radhika Rao. We were talking about it. And she was like, wow, what about that scene? And, that, you know, that's the thing that you would love to hear as a theater creator. People are just talking and talking about these issues and talk about how it affects them and whatever. Because we're seeing it's as if the, the playwright and the actors are vocalizing or verbalizing what's already on our minds because mm -hmm. this is happening to us. Mm -hmm. So that's it, it's, that was a very, very cool moment. And I told that to Patricia. She had a wonderful way of incorporating technological, very abstract, you know, thoughts and, and technological mm -hmm. stuff with emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of playwrights who get too much into the technical stuff. I mean, I know I'm, I'm at fault at it and <laughs> not enough heart. And then you have those playwrights who focus on the heart, but, you know, there's really no substance behind it. So mm -hmm. she has a wonderful blend of um, combining the two. Mm -hmm. One of the questions I want to ask you, because you have now you have as a resident um, Kimberly Ridgway. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to be interesting. I mean, um, so you're, you're getting new people to come into Central Works to work on their plays and collaborate. So yeah. how, how's that been? Well, we've been working with Kimberly for a long time. Um, but uh, TBA had this uh, funding program mm -hmm. for um, artistic leadership, and um, we wanted that. That has funded um, Kimberly. We were awarded that, um, and uh, we were able to bring um, Kimberly into our artistic staff. Mm -hmm. um, and she's going to be directing Patricia's next play. Nice, actually, which is will be our summer show um and um she's worked with us as an actor in a number of productions and um also just a consultant she helps us with casting a lot too mm -hmm. um and you know everybody's working with kimberly now yeah uh, yeah she's <laughs> non-stop you know. yeah well i mean you know we were talking at nauseam a couple of episodes about <laughs> the uh, alterina theater yeah and they uh -huh. ran into some issues um it wasn't this year it was last year and we had Lily Janik on. It was one of the great, uh, one of the great mm -hmm. Lier episodes that we've had this year, having mm -hmm. a um, a critic. And you know, I actually uh, you know reached out to Lily 
earlier, and she was like, well, I don't know if my uh, bosses will allow me to do this. Huh. But uh, luckily, <clears throat> I think she uh, wrote a, a bit on Sharon Chow, and I complimented her on that and showed her a link of Sharon Chow. And one way or another, she, Lily was like, hey, I want to come on the show. Wow. And nice. Lily talked about the Alterina, and uh-huh. the Alterina had an issue with just race and just, you know, having actors feel inclusive. And I think their solution was Kimberly Ridgway. <laughs> they huh. hired her. She directed a couple of pieces. I was on stage with her at the Altarina. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. It was a play called It's Only a Play. The poster's right there. Huh. It's a, uh, you may know the the play. It's, um, oh, I forget who wrote it, but uh, it's like a a New York uh, elite play about a playwright getting a show on Broadway and shenanigans happens. It's, you know, when I first did it, I was like, okay, this is really weird. Is this really the audience for this? But, you know, huh. we, we found an audience for it. And an actor dropped out and Kimberly Ridgway came on and she was in the midst of her directing a couple of pieces at the Altarina. But, the you know, uh, Katina Lithune had a problem. I think I'm, I'm probably badgering her last name. But <laughs> she had an issue. And she says, well, you know, instead of me being the solution, I'll bring someone in who can be a solution. So Kimberly Ridgway and also Sean J. West, he did a soldier's play at the Alt Arena. So there are theater companies that are dealing with this, you know, how do we not only create a more diverse um, set of shows that will communicate to the to the community, but also bring diversity as far as acting is concerned and you know, making sure that the actors feel welcome. So, Well, the theater mm-hmm. at large is dealing with this as our country at yeah, large yeah. is dealing with this. Has Central Works hasn't had an issue with it, though, has it? <laughs> Central Works ended up on the list. That was funny. Oh, no. I well, everybody does. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's no way that we, we're gonna have, we're gonna have, we're gonna have having Eli- somebody yeah. come at you. Yeah. The list we're talking about is the living document. That was a document created by Eli Sonny Orkiza, I want to say in 2021, maybe? In any case, he's going to he's going to come back on uh, because he's going to talk about other projects or whatever. But mm-hmm. it was one thing where... Other theater companies were, you know, put under the light, under the light. You know, how inclusive are you? How well, inclusive are you? It was yourselves? in the wake of um, "We See You, White American Theater." Right, yeah, yeah, it was the local version of yeah. "We See You, White American Theater." Um, wasn't that in 2020? Wasn't that? I, I think it, I think it was. Yeah. I mean, I think you're I, right. I feel like it was the, you know, summer of George Floyd. Yeah, um, that's right. And pandemic, of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, I, I I didn't think that that was a particularly uh, constructive way to address. Um, I mean, what do we call it? Do we call it uh, social justice? Do we call it what race relations? Yeah, uh, well, it was sort of it sort of became a catch-all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think an anonymous document um, calling out, as I recall, nonsense was the euphemism that was used. Um, I think it was really, really divisive. I, I, I don't think it was um, a particularly um, <clears throat> healing way to go. Yeah. The the reaction that I've heard from theater owners is, is some denial, 
like, hey, we don't have a problem. I don't care what's on, what, you know, if our name is on the document. Some have been like, okay, well, yeah, I guess we need to make a change. I will say just personally, I hadn't really even known or have even seen the living document. But from my experience as an actor, there are some theater companies that are very welcome, that I love working with. I'll just, you know, go there over and over and over again. And there are some who have made it abundantly clear we are not interested in you or your stories or, you know, whatever. We'll call you. As a matter of fact. You mean because you're black? Either because of that or just, you know, or they'll say, we want you because we want to stick you in our show because you're black. But as far as your black experience, we really don't care about that. Just, you know, just be be some color on the stage. The, the literal, which I've said more than once, the director who I say, so, um, I'm, I'm black. <laughs> right. What? What does this mean in terms of my character? And to have them literally say, oh, your character's not black. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure if we ask the audience, show of hands, point to the black character on stage. So let's deal with this. And when that first happened to me, like that literal conversation first happened to me in 98, um, I didn't know what to do about it. And thankfully, some other people stepped up. Now, I uh, just a couple of years ago, I did uh, Great Expectations, mm-hmm. you know, Dickens, British. And I said to, I didn't say it to the director, I said it to the dialect coach. Mm-hmm. And she came back to me about a day or so later and said, thank you so much for that question. Here's some video. Here's some information. Here's how What was the question? This. The question is, okay, so I'm playing three characters. Mm-hmm. They are going to be black. So who are they in Dickens, England? Mm-hmm. Who are the black people in Dickens, England? Mm-hmm. So she actually came up with two great answers and one that was just over the top wonderful to play. Um, the first character that we had to deal with was um, the father. Pip is the main character, Pip's father. Huh. Um, and it's uh, Joe Gargery and Mrs. Joe Gargery. And who is Joe Gargery? Well, he's the blacksmith in town. That's really all you know about him. He's married to mm-hmm. Pip's sister. Um, who is the black guy? Well, it turns out that in the time of Queen Elizabeth, there was, in fact, a an African woman, young woman, who, young, uh, became a ward of the queen. The queen ended up giving her position and some land, some, you know, I don't think a major title, but something, and in Kent. And the descendants still live there. And one of the things I saw in this video was um, a black guy who knew nothing about this history, who, born and raised in Kent, family in Kent, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but if you can trace your family back to Queen Elizabeth, I think you're English. I think you are legitimately British. (laughs) You're not something else. And I was like, okay, great. So I'll just learn that dialect and not worry about it. Cool. Then I had a character who was the assistant to the barrister, the lawyer in the play. And we're in London. And I'm like, well, I was thinking maybe I'm, I like playing with a West Indies accent. And she says, oh, OK, we don't want to like make him an immigrant because he wouldn't be the barrister. He wouldn't be the assistant to a powerful lawyer, but he could be the child of immigrants so we just threw a little bit of that in the dialect and it was just it was wonderful and again very affirming for me i'm not just randomly playing some character i'm very mm-hmm. specifically playing somebody who has a <clears throat> legitimate backstory 
And then the other character was just an over-the-top asshole, mm. and I got to be an over-the-top asshole. That comes in all colors. Mm. But. but the idea is it makes sense. <clears throat> it makes sense your character fits well, within the context of the story. We ran into this um, last year where uh, we were doing a 1926, you know, like a century ago play um, about the Pullman Porters. Oh, I, compared to what? Yeah. Compared to, I com, I cast an actor who had dreads because I just had no other choices, <laughs> and I said to him when I cast him, I'm pretty sure you're not going to cut your hair. Mm-hmm. Or we might have to wig you. Mm. I said to the costumer, we might have to wig you. And in fact, um, Tammy is the one who ended up bailing me out because the costumer's response was, "Oh, I don't know anything about black hair." And I'm like, mm-hmm. "Do you know anything about if you were doing Moliere? Do you know anything about French period hair?" Mm-hmm. How did you do that? You didn't live that. You learned it. You researched it. You you figured it out. But suddenly, with this black character, you can't do anything, and therefore we can't do anything. <clears throat> Maybe he can tie his dreads back. And like, no, it was twenty six, nineteen twenty six. Yeah, like not nineteen twenty six. He's got one of the most upstanding jobs that a black man can have in that era. <laughs> No, nobody would hire him with dreads. That's not even a thing. Yeah, you know, I'm like, and the fact that I had to keep having this argument just blew my mind. So I've learned to start having these conversations. And companies, I would say, that is one thing that came out of the living document. Companies are more willing to have the conversation than they were before. Yeah, like this thing with the um, the dialect coach immediately jumping on it, doing her research, and coming back and saying, "Here you go." <laughs> Yeah. Here's a history for your character. Because it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to cast someone of color. Let's say it's a play that isn't traditionally black or Asian or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. If someone has a question, if the actor has a question, so I feel a little out of place. I mean, this character may be written for a white person, but I'm in it. Right. Maybe I need to do some work as an actor, but do you have any input, whether you're the director or the producer or whatever it is, as to why I, why I was cast and... What role do I have as a person of color? What are we going to do with this? Right, exactly. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a gigantic question that the theater's been grappling with since the 1970s, certainly. But initially, because of the explosion in Shakespeare production, starting, Mm -hmm. you know, it kicks off in the 60s. Right. And then... Through the rest of the century, there just Shakespeare festivals proliferate across the country, mm-hmm. and um, just the production of Shakespeare plays becomes just takes over, goes crazy, um, and then that's the first obvious place that productions are. Think you could use the word trying to integrate yeah, people yeah. of color right. into what is a white traditional theater with right. a few controversial exceptions like Othello, Othello. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then there's the role in Titus Andronicus too. I've never done that. Aaron, Aaron, yeah. Um, uh, who's a is Aaron a villain? He is. Yeah, but a gorgeous villain. He's got this wonderful speech where he's got his baby. <laughs> Uh-huh. And they're telling them the baby has to be put to death. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's on the one hand completely tender and protective, and on the other hand, the assassin asshole that he has been the whole play. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's typical Shakespeare. I mean, you know, Shylock. 
Do mm-hmm. we root for Shylock? Eh, maybe at certain points in the play, we might kind of root for Shylock. But if the production is done the way it's intended, at the end of the play, <laughs> we want Shylock punished. We want Shylock sent off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's really complicated because there's a long tradition. For instance, with Othello, mm-hmm. um, there's a long tradition of white people playing, you know, pretending to be a black man. Oh, sure, blackface, right. yeah. Um, and there's that term uh, as well to contend with. Mm-hmm. Um, so then just, well, real prior to the 60s, we're seeing African Americans integrated into Shakespeare first mm-hmm. and logically as Othello. Yeah. I think Robeson plays Othello. Robeson does yeah, right. even before him, Ira Aldridge. Yeah. yeah. And like when? When's that first? Ira Aldridge uh, goes to London and, oh God. It's got to be the turn of the century. Because yeah, Robeson was in the 30s. The turn of the century, yeah. yeah I was going to say 20s, but um, okay. So then, um, you know, it becomes very conventional. Mm-hmm. I mean, it becomes commonplace to integrate sure. African American actors and actors of color into Shakespeare. Right. Um, under the initially under the sort of logic or conception of what we referred to as colorblind. Colorblind casting, yes. Colorblind casting, which is really where I think the discussion started with your your example of Mm -hmm. your your own case of being cast in a play in which, you know, if I look at you, I can tell you're a black man. But if I look at the script, I don't see a black man. So what am I? Right, exactly. Is your question, right? And then there's two basic approaches to that. Mm-hmm. Either we try to acknowledge mm-hmm. the the actor's racial characteristics or yeah. skin color yeah. or however you want to refer to it or their mm-hmm. hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we try to we try to write that into the play mm-hmm. as backstory, right. or or you can make other alterations, mm-hmm. or we just pretend we don't see it right which became i think unacceptable and i would even i would even uh tie that to august wilson the august wilson controversy which was probably i don't know 70s maybe 80s when he starts yeah well when he when he starts the controversy about oh that just yeah you know well there's lots of controversies um so, and that question has never really been clearly resolved about because mm-hmm. you can make up a backstory for your character, right? But so that answers your questions. Yeah. But the, if the audience doesn't hear the backstory, is well, it part of the play? Do they see it? Because when that the example I did was uh, as you like it, and I played many characters, including uh, my first character was LeBeau, just by his name. There's a French connection, Le Beau. Um, who am I? Where did I come from? And I said, well, and I mentioned it to the customer, which is what got things moving in the direction I wanted. I said, who would I be? I was thinking maybe like North Africa, Morocco, something like that. She says, oh, my God. And she starts pulling together a costume based on that, sends a Polaroid to the production team. The dramaturg and the assistant director see it, and they're like, holy cow, this is great. This is exactly what we want. And that's the collaboration you need, because yeah. if you have a production team, because you would think, 
like I think about your example, Death of a Salesman, where you're the neighbor. Oh, yeah. And that's a great example because although the play isn't written to have a black person in there. Right. It's very easy to see you as a neighbor, a black neighbor, but it brings up a lot of other issues, which well, you can talk if to. If I'm a neighbor for three decades, three plus decades, <clears throat> in my lifetime, there's been a whole lot of issues about housing and how that works and what that would be. So as much as Willie Loman can seem insensitive and whatever, the fact that we have this good relationship, this good neighbor relationship, to me, is a powerful thing. And I'm like, oh my God, this is wonderful. I've got this neighbor who greets it in the same, almost especially with the original play, in the same era of A Raisin in the Sun. Here you've got this white guy who's just kind of going, hey, you're my neighbor. <laughs> I borrow things from you. You borrow things from me. We play cards in the middle of the night. We drink. We talk shit. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I'm like, yay. And there's no racial... There's We haven't changed the script at all. But... If you don't recognize, and this is the thing I love about live theater and our audiences, for all the audience who doesn't see anything more in that than two guys, two neighbors talking, that's great. For everybody who has any awareness of the racial politics of our country, and especially for all the black people who are seeing that show, it's powerful. Ding, ding, ding. That's exactly right. That notion of our kids playing together, which is the big thing with integration when schools and things started happening. Mm -hmm. And our kids are suddenly playing together and oh my God, dating. Yeah. You know, that energy, that dynamic, it's hard to not see that or recognize it as as a resonance mm-hmm. that suddenly gives this play new life. And so yeah. that's what I loved about it. And and it, it you know, the character of Willie Loman suddenly just doesn't become, you know, someone who has gone through his own tragedy, but also someone who is a little awakened, you know, because he has a black neighbor. But the director allows you to do that. The production company allows you to do that. The issue becomes when a production company just hires you and, you know, when when I did It's Only a Play... On Broadway, Matthew Broderick played my lead character, mm-hmm. and I didn't pretend to be Matthew Broderick. I was just, hey, I'm Reg Clay. <laughs> <laughs> I've written a play, so I know how what he must feel or whatever, and I've got these individuals who are, you know, who have no issue hanging out with me and all this stuff. And there was a, there was a black actress who uh, was also in the play as well. So it... And we were allowed to sort of be ourselves. Mm-hmm. I could have easily asked the director, okay, so... Am I allowed to sort of be who I am and not just, you know, just play a generic character or whatever? Um, If I have the luxury, that's great. If not, then that becomes an issue. Well, why did you cast me? Did you just cast me because, I don't know, I'm black, but you you want me to ignore all of my, you know, I don't know, my blackness, you know, who I am. So I think that's... Well, can I bring more to the character? Right. I'm specifically playing this character. I'm an older man now. When you cast me as certain characters, I am going to go, okay, that, you know, like the famous examples of all the Hamlet movies that came out, what, 20, 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, Mel Gibson as Hamlet. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Um, Lawrence Fishburne as Hamlet. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, huh? Yeah. Kenneth Branagh, he wasn't bad. Well, Branagh is more in the age range, a little bit more in the age range, but you suddenly start, you do the same work that you would do with any script, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to get the information a hamlet who is an older man running through this issue dealing with these struggles is mm-hmm. different than one who is freshly going to college or freshly from college mm-hmm. these are different 
this is a different story, and it is part of what you, the actor, are going to bring to it, but it's also part of what your your audience is going to bring to it. Yeah. I mean, to bring it back to Central Works, exactly. it's always great to sit, oh, God, seeing Engine of Our Destruction with all these black people in the house mm-hmm. was amazing. Yeah. Uh, the show that Elizabeth uh, directed last, was it last year? Beginning of the year. Uh, that was last, that was a year ago. Yeah, a year ago. That was last fall. A to year sit ago in that, I talked to black women that I don't know during intermission because we were all just bubbling about how the play was hitting us, and it was interesting because I talked to a, an older black woman. I think it was hitting us like I think our our perception of the play was off in many ways. From we were not in agreement, but we huh. were intrigued as hell. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yay. Yeah. And this also, I could talk about the human ear, although it wasn't a Central Works thing, but, you know, um, it was uh, Anton's Well who rented out mm-hmm. the Central Works place. I don't know if you remember that, but. Ah, um, uh, Anton's Well. Yeah, that was uh, the human ear that had um, uh, Crystal Lowell? Brown and, and Lowell. Yeah. Huh. A two person. We also did the. The human ounce, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was called it was called the human ear, and Crystal Brown's performance. I mean, both Lowell and Crystal were fantastic, but especially uh-huh. Crystal, I was like, wow, who is she? And I'd never met her before. Right, had her on the yay, and she talked or whatever. But the diversity that Central Works brings to the stage constantly, yeah, yeah. is excellent. Well, well, it's really different when you're dealing with um, a new play because mm-hmm. you. Yeah, the flexibility to yeah, and the the, the the first actor to play a role in a new play. I mean, it's not a question of do we recognize your blackness or not. Right. The actor is black, and right. so the character. So how do we? How, how do, do we, we? How do we acknowledge that? Yeah. How mm-hmm. do, yeah. Um, I I think the um, the shift from a notion of color blindness, which was unacceptable because it implied that the actor would just like you said either I pretend to be white or I pretend to be nothing and the audience can see it and I know it so what does it mean and how do we how do we work it into the play what yeah. am I yeah 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 that shifted to um, and this is not uh, with respect to new plays this is respect to um, established plays, like when we're talking sure. about Shakespeare, the term <clears throat> non-traditional yeah. casting, mm-hmm. yeah. I think was very useful because we recognize that there is a tradition, mm-hmm. there are ethnic traditions or racial traditions or however yeah. you want to characterize it about mm-hmm. the role, or or, or yeah, I, I, identity traditions, yep. whatever. We're running into that now, yeah, um, very much. Uh, and so we're we're recognizing that tradition, and we're changing it mm-hmm. uh, by whom's you know whoever we we cast in the play. That right. That that seemed to be a useful way of conceptualizing the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but from our perspective, we try to we try to create a composite group of actors to begin with and build a play from that. Right. Mm-hmm. So that. Um, r- rather than you know uh, importing um, elements into a traditional play, we're trying to make a model of you know people of a variety of backgrounds, a diversity of backgrounds mm-hmm. coming together to build a work together. Right. Yeah. When I think of engineering our disruption, I think about the you know you have. Um, 
um, Jan's Leifler yeah. and Mike, uh-huh. who are white. Uh-huh. Uh, but you have, uh, I forget the actress's name. Um, Chelsea Beers? Yeah. Chelsea is and, and, she, and she's mixed, I believe, right? She uh, is. I yeah. believe so. I don't yeah. know. She is, because she said it to me one night after after the show. We were out drinking, and we were talking about something, and she made some reference, and I went, oh, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure you're not getting called in a whole lot for black roles. Yeah. Yeah, see, and uh, and Luel is uh, Filipino. Yeah. Uh, but So there, there's that diversity, and of course, that diversity really doesn't have a lot to do with the text of the play. It could be played with an entirely white cast, or an entirely Asian cast, or, you know, yeah. whatever. But to have the mixture of diversity, um, I mean, how important is it? I mean, there are some folks who are listening right now. God, is diversity that important? I mean, we're a diverse community. It you tell, know? And it tells a different story. Yeah, it so. does. And it, adds, and it adds color to it. And Central Works recognizes that. So yeah. that's why I say I didn't see Central Works having an issue with the living document. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's not like, you know, you guys had to change. You guys are doing exactly what you've been doing you yeah. know, all along. But having those conversations. Yeah, which a lot of companies don't do, and that's really the issue. Because (laughs) if you have it already in your mind, hey, we want to bring this actor or actress in to create Mm -hmm. this play, and they're going to be part of the collaboration, because that's how Central Works does it, Mm -hmm. then it gets baked in. Like, I may be brought in as an actor, and I say, hey, when I read this scene, it reminds me of something that happened, you know, back in my past or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then that gets baked in. And that's fantastic. What we don't want to have as actors is some producer, you know, casting me, and then I feel strange on stage. Like, I saw uh, The Nutcracker, and of course, this is ballet. Uh, This has nothing uh to do with theater. There was one Talk about tradition. Speaking of tradition... (laughs) Of course, everyone is either white or Asian, and of course, if you are way, way back in the bleed and nosebleed seats, can you really tell? Right. <laughs> but there was one black kid mm-hmm. sitting there, no black parents, and I'm like, okay, this is great, but sitting there, you mean in the audience? No, no, no. He was on stage. Oh. He was part of the. I mean, he, oh wow. And I said to myself, okay, this is great that he's on, but the context. I mean, not that I should be thinking about context, but. You know, did his parents just drop him off with a bunch of white folks and just left? You mean this? Who's who's is who's he adopted? Is he adopted? What's what's going on? But whatever, that's just how my mind works. But really, it, it can draw someone out if it if it feels strange. If mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And if a, if a director's like, listen, I don't want to hear the lack of conversation is a big problem. If I can't ask a director, hey, I have an issue with this scene or my role in it. If a director's answer is. Oh my God! Why are you bothering me with this? Can you just can you just focus on that on your own, or let's talk well, about it later? There, there Dismiss are, it. There are all kinds of directors. So. Yeah, and those are the folks who I think the Living Document really targets. Uh, you know? Well, no, I would agree with Gary that it was a lot more scattershot than that because it was just any issue that anybody's ever had. Well, and it felt like yeah, it wasn't addressed. Well, sure. And and I don't want to dismiss it, but at the same time, like I can point back to Inspector General. I don't know that we had very many racial conversations. I don't think so. Though the play definitely um, uh, remember, you know, there were lots of the character was clearly a black man, right? Yeah. yeah. What? Uh, oh, tell me the, the conflict. So, of Inspector, um, General? Inspector General is uh, Gogol. Gogol, yeah. Uh, uh, it's a Russian comedy. Okay. Um, it's it's a Russian comedy made for a clown troupe. I mean. Like literally about three dozen yeah. actors is what yeah. it's written for. We did it with three. Yeah. And we set it in a gated community. Yeah. 
and this guy, this black guy, but this guy just appears and he's clearly from someplace else and he's claiming um, a level of authority um, that they can't really penetrate. They can't pin down or penetrate um, in the course of the play. So this couple is trying to deal with this stranger. It's, a extreme, it's an obviously white gated community. Yeah. <laughs> and a government official shows up right. who is he won't he can't he won't provide yeah. the sort of like it, are you FBI he won't, right. are he's you, not showing he, documentation he claims to have a transmitter embedded in his ear <laughs> I forgot that um, oh that was so fun the research uh, on that very was mis- so fun mysterious character who yeah. is investigating this yeah. couple because of a security issue right. that cannot be revealed yes um <laughs> It was fun. It yeah. was so amazing. That was um, like, do you remember when that was? That was like 2006 or something? Seven? Maybe? No, seven. six. It was six. Six? It was six. <laughs> yes. I can remember that because I was producing another play at the same time. I tried we to were, avoid doing that. We were doing the Richard Wright. Uh, re, we were doing no, workshops on the Richard No, not in 2006. Wright. It was be- right before then. Okay. Uh, no, this was um, American Limbo. Um Deontay mm. Wilson, mm. Um, young guy coming out of ACT who had talked to Afro Solo, Thomas Simpson. And Thomas said, I don't have a slot for him, but if you want to work with him on his script, I would love to help you guys. And so we ended up producing uh, like the first act mm-hmm. um, and showing that at the Marsh. And I forget, I, it might have even been at, um, it might have been at Mills, but I mm-hmm. it was around that time. Mm. Um and then uh, producing it, fully producing it. So that was all happening at the same time. So I will always remember 2006. But yeah, there were moments where like I personally, like this comes up with me and my wife. There are situations where I'm like, I am not going to go talk to that person. I'm not going to put myself in that situation because I'm uncomfortable as a black man doing it. Mm-hmm. This character was doing things that I would never do. And I had to go, okay. What is the psychology of this person? And I loved the answers that ended up bubbling up. And I loved that there were also things that I couldn't really answer. But in the context of the play, in the world of the play, they made sense and they worked. So we didn't have to talk about my discomfort. We didn't have to talk about the other actors and their discomfort. We just sort of lived it. (laughs) And it was a joy to find that I could therefore go to a very defensive place with this character because I'm in this foreign environment and I'm trying to take control. I'm like, wow. Okay, it was, you know, it's a little bit of a fantasy in that sense. And I loved it. I loved playing out that fantasy. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I was going to ask you, Gary, how, how has Central Works, how has 2023 been for Central Works? I mean, you know, guys have done some fantastic productions and mm-hmm. I think you uh, received an, um, did Central Works get an award, TBA award for one? I don't know, Rich. I really don't know. <laughs> you don't even pay attention Maybe, to that stuff. probably, yeah. but I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, uh, we've gotten a lot of recognition this year that's been really um, nice. Um, it is has been a tough year for the theater mm-hmm. at large. Yeah. Um, I think... Um, I, I, th- I think we're in a stage now where... I was talking to another artistic director of a 
theater in Berkeley, mm-hmm. and um, they seem to be going through what we're going through, which mm-hmm. was when the pandemic hit and everything shut down. Yeah, that was its own shock. Right, um, and there was all these <clears throat> all these efforts to try to produce without bringing people together. You yeah, know, right. all, the, all the online stuff, yeah, yeah. which was a time of in a way really exciting exploration um but what emerged but then what happened was there was all this government relief mm-hmm. money if right. you could manage the bureaucracy of applying for it right and i think to a certain degree the theaters who were successful at that mm-hmm. um it it was extremely helpful in you know, uh, traversing the the pandemic years, right? Um, there was a lot of money out there yeah. to be had if you could, if you did the work, if you yeah. took the time, if you knew how to do that stuff. Right, right. The theaters that weren't able to secure that relief, as you guys know, a lot of theaters didn't make it. They just through yeah, that they period. dissolved or. Mm-hmm. They now went into hibernation. <laughs> now, what's happening um, at the end of 2023, I think, is the relief money is largely starting to run out. Yeah, and so now it's next. So okay, so we got through it. Mm-hmm. We, we had a really good season. We had a lot of. We had good attendance. I was very proud of the shows we did. Uh, but next year is looking really challenging. Mm-hmm. There's been all these inflationary costs. Right, uh, right. Things Very are much. a lot more expensive now. The other types of funding um, that were present before the pandemic, those now seem to be a lot more difficult to get. Yeah. Um, the competition seems more intense mm-hmm. and availability of options seems to be lower so the money that that money is now harder to get yeah um and so i think 2024 is is a really challenging year i was going to ask you gary because that's true for the whole economy because you know the theater wasn't the only sector of the economy that got relief money i mean you know vast sectors of the economy got it it's kind of wearing off for a lot of industries, but yeah. and, well, and I think it's just that's the, what's happening. With just theater. take the money to back to what are you going to do with the money with yeah, a small fine. sliver of? We understand that you have overhead that will give. There's a small sliver of funding that I think wasn't there in the same way before that is there now. But in general, I think you're right. The money is. It's there, but not in the way that it was before. I was going to say, Gary, I think one thing that helps Central Works is that you're not, you know, a lot of your costs are not for building sets or, um, you know, <laughs> other things that other companies deal with. Yeah. And, and you've had your renter. I don't know what your relationship with your landlord is, but it, it, it's good at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> right. So there were three tenants managing the space, right? There were three tenants in the mm-hmm. space in, in, in the city club. Yeah. Uh, when the pandemic started, and I don't, and the one theater tenant, right, um, oh, and two okay. other businesses. Okay, the theater's the only one that remained throughout, uh-huh. um, and we paid our rent all, all through that. But yeah. we got relief from yeah. There the was state. Money for the state it. Yeah. was really generous. 
Um, and our donors really, really supported us. Mm -hmm. um, so we were very fortunate that way. What you just ask me? I was asking you the business part of it. I was thinking that the uh, granting and also Jen's life. I think Jan is the one who actually handles the, the business yeah, part of it. She, and she's actually she really oversees all the grant writing. Right. And, uh, and she's... <laughs> she's really talented at it yeah now I was going to ask does that help in other words if, if you were like let's say the Douglas Morrison Theater which is a sprawling theater in Hayward where you know uh, guys like uh, Jim Earlywine and a couple of others are like builders and they're building massive sets and of course that there, oh, there's money right involved with in that exactly so does it help that the the cost because really only paying for the actors maybe you pay for and because it's new plays well and you're still paying tech your your sound and costume well of and, course Greg Sharpin yeah, yeah. and uh, whoever's doing Tammy your costume Tammy Bar Berlin. Berlin yeah you're right you're both right and but we don't almost never have a scenic designer mm -hmm. um, which most theaters do and that's that's really a result of over the years what we've developed is a kind of um, what I characterize as enforced minimalism mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, where since we're doing all new plays right um, the the space precedes any play that's right, right. the play has to fit within the context of the or, of the or we have space. to fit the play mm -hmm. into what we can do effectively right. yeah mm -hmm. but also, and you know, Aurora was Aurora started in the space, in that space we're yeah. in before yeah. they moved downtown. Yeah. And Barbara Oliver established that theater for ten years. As you know, with it was, it just took off. It I did. mean, it, it did really well. Um, they did great productions, but their approach to scenic design was ex quite elaborate. They oh. transformed the space okay. mm -hmm. very elaborately, mm -hmm. and with uh, an. Uh, um, you know, an intense a attention to converting the space into the locale called for in the play. Sure. We often try to go the other way. We, mm -hmm. we, we try to find plays that we can do mm -hmm. within a large, ornate, mm -hmm. uh, sort of gothic um, room right. with beautiful windows. Mm -hmm. that, uh, the drapes are always open. Mm -hmm. And... We, in that sense, we try to put the audience in between the set and the action, Sure, actually, as if the walls of the theater are the walls of the set. Right. Yeah, Pat Milton had a wonderful statement. She said that theater needs spec uh, spectacle, and the spectacle of Central Works is the actual, the, the acting or, mm -hmm. you know, the dialogue. Yeah. It's not going to be the elaborate sets or, you know, any special things that happen with it. And that's always been the way with Central Works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and another thing that, because we do all, all new plays, you know, when you're doing a production of Hamlet, right. again, you're dealing with this tradition. And so the question is, how will, if you're the director, my Hamlet mm -hmm. What will it be? Right. What will be my concept? And this whole idea of directorial concept mm -hmm. really takes off again in the wake of, of the explosion of of Shakespeare production. Right. You have a burgeoning <clears throat> of just directors, theater mm -hmm. directors, who are learn coming of age. Yeah. In this time of doing Shakespeare plays, and then. You know, we're going to dress it up this way. We're going to dress it. You right. know, so what's your directorial concept for mm -hmm. a classic play? Mm -hmm. What's the new way you're going to do it? Right. When you're dealing with a new play, 
the question is, what is the play? Mm. It's not what is my concept for right, it. Right. It's like, right. what is it? I, you know, you don't even know. Yeah. I mean, it's never been done. Mm-hmm. So, so in and so much is discovered about a play. You can imagine. I mean, the difference between rewriting a play in rehearsal, right, and oh, doing yeah. a fixed script of mm-hmm. a, of yeah, a yeah, classic yeah. script, it it it's an extremely different process. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. And you're discovering things. You're changing things. You're revising things. But most importantly, the first word there, you're discovering things yes. about the play that if you use a traditional um, uh, production development process in the theater, mm-hmm. pretty much the whole idea, if you're doing elaborate set designs, which yeah. are extremely expensive and labor intensive, yeah, yeah. that all has to be decided pretty much before you before set you, a yeah. foot in rehearsal. Yeah. yeah. So... How do you figure out the way the play should be done before you've ever done it? Right. You know, I, I just thought about something because when I worked with um, lower bottom players, we nearly had to delay rehearsal because we had to find a set designer who had to, you know, say, hey, this is where the flats are going to be. This is where you open the door. This is radio golf. This is where the stairs are. Yeah. This, is where, this is where the yeah. tables are. Mm-hmm. With Central Works, you don't have to deal with that because you can pretty much do whatever. Well, of course, discovering the play. If people don't know the concept of how playwriting is done or the plays are done in Central Works, before the play is even written, you work with the director. And the actors. And the actors to create the play in almost in real time as you go through these sessions until there's a final product which will fit with everything. It'll fit with the set. It'll fit with the actors. Everything is sort of organic, and uh, it just absolutely works. And you can see it when you're an audience member on stage, that everything is just everything just fits. If it works, yes. that's the way you feel. <laughs> yeah. um, you know. Very rarely does it not work, right? <laughs> I like that discovery, though. I like, I, and I agree with that. that I've, I find that true for so many things. I can come up with all kinds of ideas as a director, but when I see who I'm working with and and I'm trying to, I love working with playwrights. I love talking to playwrights because I love being able to say, I feel like this is going on in your play. And it may not be on the surface, but I feel like this is what's going on. If I'm wrong, help me understand where you're trying to go. And that sort of dialogue happens partly because I've put it in hands of actors who I trust. And they've tried to make sense of it. And this is where we've gotten to. Now let's have some more dialogue with you, the playwright, and see mm-hmm. if this makes sense to you or if we need to go more in another direction. And, you know, getting that. Well, that's what I love about Central Works more than anything is you feel it feels like um, it's like the customers come in and just said, let me tighten this up a little bit. Yep. here. Let me open <clears throat> this out here. The play is tailored around yeah. the actor and is tailored around the space. Well, somewhat, so but there's still that mm-hmm. vision that the playwright had that mm-hmm. you're trying to honor, that you're trying to make sense of. Yeah. Well, going back to Patricia's comment about spectacle, in, in one sense, it it might be the environment, but also what's unmistakably foregrounded at, when, when we do a play is the acting, because yeah. the audience is so close. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only two rows of seating that surrounds almost entirely the mm-hmm. audience, but that brings the audience really close to mm-hmm. the actors, 
and that is a very unusual experience. Well, relatively, yeah, somewhat yeah, unusual. Sure, yeah, you yeah. Know, I mean, depending how often you go to the theater. Um, it, but it's really exciting to mm-hmm. be so close to the actors, to see the... To see whether or not their phone is actually, you know, working <laughs> right. when they're right. making a phone call, sure, 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 mm-hmm. which is which is a constant source of um, sort of production agony for us uh-huh. because so many contemporary playwrights these days write phone, you know, it's tech. Easy. Yeah. They write oh, yeah. tech phone calls, phones calling, and phones. <clears throat> phone calls being made mm-hmm. um, and you bringing computers on stage and and like the audience is sitting really close to us yeah. so yeah. you know trying to get a phone to sound like it rings right from an actor's pocket right is actually really challenging yeah, it is. it's very in tough the theater yeah um and because you can't just use your phone right you now yeah um, be- you know, and, and getting a dedicated phone line, and then placing a call and having it ring. Mm-hmm. I had to go you know, through that's this. Really, really impractical. Yeah, I, I, I had to go through that with radio golf. Uh, there's a point, and it's set in the '90s, where Harmon's phone constantly rings. It's either a cell phone, yeah. which of course cell phones in the '90s right. are different, yeah. and an actual phone. office yeah. phone. Luckily, I was able to find a a way to get a landline phone to actually ring That's without easy. actually calling. Yeah. That, what Gary's talking <clears throat> about, like you can't dial on your phone and expect it to do what you want it to do. Right. We've all experienced that lag. We've all experienced the, my <laughs> right. phone didn't ring. Right? I can give you a call right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no guarantee yeah. depending on how the bandwidth or yeah, you know yeah. what your signal is and all that. Right. Whether it's going to Also the vibrations. Playwrights all the time now, they write, his phone vibrates. Right. Which, again, if you're only a foot away from right, the right. actor, you yeah. can tell. Mostly you can fake that one. The actor can go, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, they can gesture. Yeah. But the sound of sending a text, yeah, receiving yeah, yeah. a text. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. much of that stuff. It drives well, yeah. us crazy. Yeah, and of That's course. why we love period shows. Yeah. <laughs> those cell phones. But, but it takes, yeah, but it takes you out. It can take an audience member out if people yeah. are pantomiming oh, yeah. and faking it. If the audience is all around, it's really hard. If you're, if you're in a proscenium orientation yeah. where the audience is only on one side and yeah. there's some, especially if there's considerable distance to the stage, yeah. right. you can't directionally tell very mm-hmm. easily. Maybe right. you could tell stage right or stage left. Yeah. Right. It's not that hard, though, to tell whether or not, you know, the, the sound looks like it's coming from the actor yeah. or not. If the, act, if the audience is all around you, mm-hmm. it's a dead giveaway if yeah. it's coming from loudspeakers up Above. in the grid or yeah. something. Of course, of course. You know. But I mean, getting it back sounds to... sounds phony and it takes you out of it, so we don't like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but getting so back to the spectacle of just the words and the acting... Like, uh, I just recently saw uh, someone did a YouTube video. They were doing a reaction. These young folks reacting to older films, and they were reacting oh. to 12 Angry Men. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is a fantastic Sidney Lumet play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, he directed it. Yeah, I, he did the movie. Right. Um, I forget who the writer was. But a new generation are, di- are discovering this wonderful 1957 film, which is really a play. Yeah, yeah. And it's set in one yeah. room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 12 men arguing over, you know, the fate yeah. of one guy. And it's fascinating how fascinated they were because they were like, they're not being drawn by, I don't know, an explosion or something that's happening. It's really individuals dis- in the room, yeah. discussing, you know, concepts. And, you know, like, well, you know, what is, you know... Um, 
you know, what What do you think the law is? What do you think the evidence is? Uh-huh. You think the evidence is that. I think the evidence is that. And bias uh-huh. and getting over your bias and all of these concepts that you want to have, you know, drawn it. You want an audience member to engage in. I mean, that's, you know, what Sidney Lumber was working on. And uh-huh. so I get that feeling when I see a Central Works play. It's not, it's an argument of ideas and concepts. And, you know, you can forget about, you know, the staging and, and all of this stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, what flourishments are there or not there? It's really about you know people are drawn towards the actual text. Well, you can you can forget about it because there's all kinds of wonderful little nuance that's happening mm-hmm. to help you mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, I mean, I do I do a lot of directing for playground and and therefore I see a lot of these short plays and the thing I least want to see is two actors come in and sit down and start talking. Mm. <laughs> like, no, you got to move. You got to do things. And how do you justify that? And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we've talked now for, well, I think since before the lockdown. No, it was coming out of the lockdown. Jan and I were sitting and talking at one point, And I said, I, would, I said, you guys should do a class about acting in the space. And she said, you should teach it. And I went, I would happily <laughs> teach it. No, because I love the way it works is not mechanical, but it is physical. It is yeah. um, visceral. You mm-hmm. and... Once you understand it, the difference between standing just almost shoulder to shoulder with the audience versus standing just two inches forward, and the way I always describe it is, so now you're butt acting. If I'm sitting here, I'm looking at your ass because it's right there in my face. Yeah. But if you step back just two inches, now I'm almost shoulder to shoulder with you. I'm engaging with you. I'm enjoying it in a totally different way. And once you experience both those things from both those perspectives... It makes more sense to you. So that impulse to engage with the other character that would draw you forward on a regular stage, Mm -hmm. draw you forward a step, you keep all that energy. Mm -hmm. You keep that impulse and it still plays. The audience still reads it. But you hold your distance, and you have to justify it. Yeah. I'm like, I love that. That's the art of blocking, which I have no <laughs> concept of. I mean, and oh. also that's as a director, you've directed, you know, Central Works for a long, long time now. Mm-hmm. But you've mastered the art of blocking, you know, especially if you have. Oh, in that space. And, in that yeah. space. Well, and then the uh, and then the monologue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where you have to find a way to move and turn. Rotisserie and acting. It's, yeah. It's but like... it's so satisfying to watch as somebody who. Who yeah. knows it very well it's so satisfying to watch and see an actor take me out of my head and out of my technical knowledge and I'm just with him because it works it works so well and then I can remember oh wait that's right you started the monologue facing over there and you ended up almost back where you started but you'd made a complete circle oh mm-hmm. I, I just you know, I really do. I want to put actors on stage and go, try this out. Feel this. Take your monologue that you know, and now let me help you turn that into a 360-degree experience. Yeah. So we've talked about blocking. We've talked about, you know, creating a, sta- uh, a stage with, with minimal settings or whatever. And, you know, this is all the... Not to kiss praises to Central Works, but I'm looking at a list of all of the closings. The Flight Deck, Tabard Theater, Piano Fight, Dragon Theater. Tabard actually, they're looking for a new home. Did somebody make a uh, a list? Well, I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's interesting. But it is interesting, it is. and it shows, I mean, yes, the economy is bad. But they're also beyond the economy. If you create good theater, regardless of what happen, what's happening with the economy, people will come. I mean, you have a dedicated audience who will come. 
Who is happy to be back. Exactly. No matter what. Mm-hmm. So that is the ma- I mean, what do you think the magic Fool's is? Fury. There's another one. <laughs> what do you yeah. think is the magic of, of Central Works, where you've been able to survive where these other companies haven't? Well, um, th- there's no underestimating the, um, the benefits of having a brick and mortar uh, or in our case, mm-hmm. poured concrete um, <laughs> and, and you know, location mm-hmm. w- that people know of. Exactly. Um, we went for years, the first almost 10 years of Central Works, we were what, what is commonly called a nomadic theater right, company, yeah. moving yeah. from yeah. space to, to space. It's extremely difficult to build an audience that way. I mean, even Burning Man always takes place in the same you know, everybody's yeah. coming to the same place. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in our case, that's a, a a blessing and a curse. We we love our space. Mm-hmm. Our audience, I think, loves our space, and mm-hmm. that's part of the reason they come mm-hmm. to to our theater is because they like being in this beautiful building. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't look like a theater from the outside, right. and it's not in the arts district. Right. Um, and so it a l- most lots, and we do all new plays, which mm-hmm. um, no one's ever heard of. Right. Yeah. Um, which is you know a real uh, challenge uh, to market. Um, how do you market plays that nobody's ever heard of? Right. Um, because it doesn't. The theater doesn't really work that way right usually the plays that are recognized get recognized in new york and then yeah i mean they work their way to new york they get recognized in new york and then they disseminate around the country through regional theaters Mm -hmm. and you go and see the local production of hamilton yeah yeah, because it's been and everybody's talking about it so much a play that nobody's ever heard of yeah it's tough sell by a playwright because you know, our playwrights are local almost entirely, mm-hmm. um, and their names are not household recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what draws them to the? What's going to draw them? They like the place. Um, they, I think, they understand that we're doing new plays, mm-hmm. and they appreciate it because we promote that a lot. Right in at uh, you know in the performance and when we introduce the play um and they're contributing to it um yes in, in a way they're, they they want to be a part of it they yeah. want to be a part of supporting the generation of new plays um and then lastly um i i would credit jan my co-director jan Seifler, with this jan had um has like so many actors has a, a long background in uh, uh, restaurant work, right. yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and the same way you build an audience for a restaurant mm-hmm. um, are principles that we've taken to developing uh, and uh, and treating our audience that way. So right. that we try to make them feel special. Yeah, we identify them. They make their reservation almost entirely. Yeah. Almost always with her, we recognize them at the door. Yep. We abundantly thank them for their support, 
and we save seats for them. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you're a subscriber at and they our know, theater, they know what seats they want. So yeah. many of them do. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, not many actors, writers, and directors care about this, but I think the average theater goer or subscriber holder, mm-hmm. the things they care about a lot are like, where am I going to park? Yeah. And did you, do you have my reservation? Yes. Because if you're bringing somebody to the theater and you can't park and you don't have a seat, right. yeah, yeah. It's, ca- it's, a catastro- it's a catastrophe <clears throat> for your event. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's an enormously embarrassing. And there's a lot of anxiety about that. Sure. At, that you can, you can feel it at the front of house. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I think over, over the decades, we've begun to really recognize that and try to make people feel welcome, cared for, and appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that has something to do with you know the loyalty of, of our audience. I think so. And it, it, it takes years to build that, to build that trust. And also just the, um, you know, when you, when you take on a new writer, like Leslie Patricia Mill, Patricia Mill is not new, but I mean, she... You know, she's a contributor, but you had to, it's it's like taking a bet. It's almost like, a, you know, like a, I think about a basketball or football team. You know, you have a first round draft pick, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> are they going to help you? Are they going to bring people in uh, or are you making a mistake? And I'm not going to ask if you've made mistakes in the past with, you know, mm-hmm. writers or whatever, but you, yeah, I, rec- I recognize the risk. And uh, there's a reward if, you know, if you develop a writer and they bring in, you know, the actors really love what they're doing. The audience love what they see on stage. And the playwright is like, wow, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. You brought me up. I, I had no idea. Well, where, where would Pat Milton be, you know, without Central Works? Well, she's she's produced a lot of plays in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an r- r- incredibly talented mm-hmm. playwright. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been just blessed yeah. with all the plays. I think... Because I think you've done three. Four, three. Uh, She's done three. At well, no, I think it's. I think next summer will be number eight. Yeah, oh, okay. No, it's, 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 there's just three for the uh, the ladies' detective agency. Yeah, right? that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. what I was thinking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'll be the third installment of the right the. Um, Ladies, mm-hmm. um, Victorian ladies, yeah, Victorian. Ladies. But it's clear that she's very, which happy. is really popular. Yeah, it's clear she's very happy working in Central Works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we we have a really um, now a, a really you know a long record of working together. We really understand. It's like you know, like the way musicians begin to understand one another. The way mm-hmm. improv works, you just right. understand. You know, or the way actors work together. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an understanding um, uh, of the other the other artist's sensibility. It's 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 that way too with um, our co- our resident costume designer Tammy, Tammy Berlin, Berlin, yeah, and, of course, and then Greg and, Greg Sharpen, our our resident sound designer Greg Sharpen, mm-hmm. who has actually done has sound has designed the sound for every one of our world premieres and i think we're at 72 now mm-hmm. he's he's done all 72 nice. world premiere yeah. <laughs> sound designs and uh, you know a, a large proportion of those i've directed but i have worked on all of them with him so we're we really understand each other well now. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you, you right. know what it's like when you have a long-standing uh, 
artistic working relationship with someone mm-hmm. you, you know where they're going right. you know what they do you just you know you know you're in agreement about a broad set of well, understandings a sensibility there's trust you there's don't trust. you don't even need to say certain things yeah yeah there's that short in and you're like oh shit yes yes yeah uh, hadn't thought of it yes yeah so a lot of times it'll be like when we're in tech technical rehearsals where we're introducing the technical elements into the play and the greg as the sound designer will say to me as if i'm directing well there's three options <laughs> and then he'll play sound cue number one sound cue number two often a piece of music or at- atmospheric sound right and then he'll play the third one and then we'll, we'll look at each other and together say the first one and, you know at the same time you right because um, we we just sort of both understand things like that you know it's just a common sensibility you develop a sensibility with yeah with no artist. greg is fantastic all four of you yeah i'm just thinking you know you and jan tammy berlin and greg you know you, you guys make central works at, uh, work actually happen oh, so, yeah. that, so that's fantastic and it's it's something you mentioned a local. lot of people behind the scenes too yeah oh yeah yeah, no, I know. It's been great, too. You know, and I keep bumping into them. <laughs> Leora is the latest one. I got to work with her. She was my stage manager last summer. And she's like, yeah, I think we met at Central Works. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, you were busy running around doing things. I didn't, we didn't talk. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, but I was going to say, no, um, there's, I, I'm always wanting for this sort of regional character, local character to get more appreciation. And there's just a way where it doesn't. It's like if you're in the know, you're in the know. But I say Central Works constantly, and people are like, "Oh, where's that?" Yeah, it's in Berkeley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, and we're, you know, I'm not going to bother trying to sell it to you. I'm going to make my point, and that will sell it to you. Yes, we're the we're the the best kept secret in the Berkeley theater community. Mm-hmm. Which is a we say often, compliment. Yeah. Yeah. it's like a catechism. But. Yeah, it's strange to say it's a secret because you guys have been. I mean, it's been. I think this is your twentieth year. How many, how many years <laughs> no. has it been? 30? Uh, I think it's our 33rd. Yeah. I think yeah. 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 So. Established <laughs> in 1990. Yeah. No, no, no. That is awesome. And for the future for 2024, you mentioned that it will be uh, difficult, but you have a, um, a season lined up. Oh, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, we're very excited about it. Um, we're very hopeful. Um, we work on a, a, unlike a lot of theaters, we work on a more like a calendar year. Um, which is our first show goes up in the spring and our last show goes up in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's slightly more conventional, I think, for theaters to initiate their seasons later in the year, like after summer. Right. And a lot of theaters start their, their theater years in, in their theater season in the fall, straddling the, uh, the holidays. We, we start in the new year and... Um, um, what was I going to say? I don't know. We were talking about 2024. I think you were talking about how you create your season. Um, does it start with the play development? Yeah, well, this, yeah, I would say probably about in, in the <clears throat> late spring, early summer of the previous year, we, um, we, we formulate the season so that we can announce it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what I was going to say. So that we can announce it um, at our 
during the run of our last show, right? Which is a fall show. Sure. And what I was going to say is, um, and 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 so like all theaters, we do an end of year fundraiser and we mail out a brochure for the next season and that right. sort of thing. And this year, our our sales are way up. Um, Excellent. With a lot of new people, so. That's really exciting to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a long process. It's it, it's a race that sort of starts in December and you know uh, goes until the end of spring. In other words, we sell subscriptions during right. that right during that three four month period. Mm-hmm. But we're off to a really strong start, so we're very hopeful about it. Um, and um, I don't know. It seems like the word's getting out because we have a lot of new people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Buying subscriptions and the subscription sales model has kind of gone out of fashion um, in a lot of theaters because I think perhaps theater goers are a bit choosier than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but our subscriptions are, are going real strong. Excellent. Yay. Excellent. No, that's so, fantastic. At, at the moment, we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you do you ever get burned out? Do you ever say to yourself, my God, you know, I want to do <laughs> something different? I, I think you're enjoying yourself. I, I imagine the lockdown was a challenge for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I um, think everybody I, was asking, are we going on? <laughs> I'd say burnout is a result of just about every show. Um, <laughs> you know, by the time, you know, mm-hmm. you know, by the time you open it, everyone's mm-hmm. so exhausted. Right. That's just the nature of the process because sure. it opens on a finite date when yep. everybody has to deliver, everybody has to be there. Yeah. Um, so it's a race that you you just can't avoid. Mm-hmm. You know, working that mm-hmm. home stretch just gets really intense. Um, so, you know, and then you have the run of the show and then by the time it closes <laughs> everybody's one. happy um, I don't know it always happens and you're ready right. to go into the next one yeah so, uh, no yeah because I asked because I know a lot of you know like I've been a part of a couple of theater companies where either the money ran out or people were just too tired of building sets or whatever or for whatever reason you know differences just get in the way and you bypass it enough until one day someone's like I just don't want to do this anymore yeah life, that, yeah exactly happens. but it has not happened uh, with Central Works or with you I mean you're en- <laughs> you're enjoying what you're doing yeah it can't well, go well, on forever can touch on uh, uh, like your time with Berkeley Rep and how that is just been a new, another way to that's right because you, you were also a teacher as well you t- you still you yeah I've been teaching, teaching playwriting year round at the Berkeley Rep School of Theater for twenty years mm-hmm. um, and that that's a program that uh, I'm you know I'm delighted to be a part of and um, very proud of I teach playwriting three times a year and like in fall there's a fall class a winter class and a spring class and in mm-hmm. the summer mm-hmm. we do the uh, summer playwriting workshop where I take eight projects, eight playwrights, and we work on them for six weeks and then present them as, um, as staged readings mm-hmm. in their little theater there at the school. Yeah. Um, and that's an extremely exciting process to see, you know, eight plays happen in a sort of, you know, a quasi-festival atmosphere. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, many of those plays are maturing during the year because you can take yeah. my playwriting class more than one. You know, you can take it repeatedly to to re- complete a, 
Uh, well, you took it. Yeah. Of course, yeah, I was no, one of your I, students, and it was fantastic. Matter of fact, Four Men in Paris is one of the reasons why it got produced. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I took your class yeah. the year before, and uh, Corinne Ritchie of Plethos, you know, said, "Hey, we really like it." And boom, mm-hmm. the rest of the story. As a matter of fact, I had lunch with Paul Harkness. You remember Paul? He was yeah. one of the students. Did hollowed ground, and you know, we had Hollow lunch. Ground, yeah. And uh, you know, he is very, very thankful of you know just um, the. The lessons that he learned from the class, so it was cool. Yeah, he developed a, he developed that play a lot. It was great. Yeah, so no burnout for you. you you're yeah. enjoying what you're doing. Well, at the end of every show, I mean, the opening of every <laughs> well, show. sure, but I mean, just overall, you you don't look back and say, "My God, you know, why, am I still doing this?" <laughs> yeah, I do that, Reg. Um, I do. I, I do look back all the time and say, "My God, am I still doing this?" And I, you know. Yeah, I am still doing this, yeah. and uh, I'm, I'm, I feel fortunate to be doing it, to still be doing it. Um, I've, I've come to understand directing and playwriting, and running a theater um, at a deep level, I think, and and what it means to run a, a a theater that is dedicated to developing only new plays. Um, it's been, uh, it's been an education mm-hmm. um it, it's been a real education and uh and it's still very exciting you know every show um we always reach a point um where i usually look at jan and it's shortly before opening when we kind of turn to each other and go it's going to be what it's going to be <laughs> right um, right there's that point where you realize Okay, yeah. let's see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, you can make minor corrections and yeah, adjustments yeah, yeah. after you open, but mm-hmm. we don't really have the mechanism for that. Like, you know, the sort of long preview runs that a, a right. theater like Berkeley Rep would do, and I, I think Aurora does as well. Or the schedule where you're saying, okay, even though you've been in front of an audience, we're going to have a rehearsal tomorrow afternoon and yeah. make some adjustments. <laughs> yeah, since almost all the actors and artists that work with us are, are working day jobs as well that's not really practical and people yeah. are just so exhausted by the time we open that there's, there's a wonderful process to watch a play go through where everything is rushed to the you know you're pushing the group let's say as a director as hard as you think you reasonably can without pushing them too hard but just to get them to do their best work. And so when you open the play, there's usually a big crowd there mm-hmm. on opening night. Right. It's very exciting, but it's also very terrifying for the actors and the performers. And then as the show then moves into regular performances, over the next, we find the next three weeks, mm-hmm. the nervousness and the newness uh, and the anxiety really begins to filter out of the show as the actors really grow to understand mm-hmm. the play and their performance in it at, in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. And then right at that third week, we, we run for six weeks, yeah. but it's that third weekend where you can see the actors settle in yeah. and it really be, starts to become a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's when it's really kind of a ride for the yeah. actors, the mm-hmm. performers. And, and everybody's working together. On stage, yeah. you, get, you, you go backstage and you see how <clears throat> this group of people is just working like a 
team, like yeah. a, you know, an athletic team or whatever. You know, everybody's working together. The thing is, is you're really beginning to understand it. Audiences are really usually starting to react to it mm-hmm. till you coast to those last performances when suddenly everyone realizes it's going to be over soon. Right. And then the last performance, this is the last time we'll ever do this. And this sense of, you know, nostalgia begins to set in. Yes. And the, the, the feeling of, wow, this is it. And mm-hmm. then there's that cel- celebratory party afterwards mm-hmm. where it's over and it's gone. Yeah. And yeah. it's this... This long-term bonding experience that you've had with a very select group of people, you've all gone through an ordeal together, Mm -hmm. and that is a a kind of a special kind of bonding experience that really brings people together. And so, I think that's one reason why actors (laughs) are so emotional because they have they make all these friendships and then they go away and then when they see one another they recall you know the experience they went through together Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they hug a lot and they Mm -hmm. laugh a lot and they talk about old times yeah we just uh, went to a party um a small gathering for folks from a soldier's play that was done at alter arena right and uh and neither of us were in it but i did see it Mm -hmm. and um and really loved it sean j west is an amazing director it was really good work um but it was so fun to have that energy and to see them sort of fall back into the rhythms of the relationships they built in the show it was it was neat yeah like the fact that they invited us there i was like oh people try to do this all the time well let's get you and reg to go and i'm like and reg will say oh somebody's invited us to something i'm like i can't make it but you go ahead and i'll go to stuff and yeah well i wish reg could be here you know, life is life, but it was nice that we could both go and be It was a nice. That. And also, we've had several Yay episodes where people have brought people on who have been in productions, like The Marriage of Bet and Boo. That picture you see right there, that's uh, Eric Johnson and um, Heather Atlas. And they haven't seen each other in like 20 years, and they came on the A together. Uh, you weren't, that was the episode right, you yeah, missed. Like, yeah. And they, just like what you were talking about, Gary, they talked about, wow, I remember that time. And our first rehearsal was September 11th, 2001, <laughs> which we had to cancel. And Heather was had a day job where she was doing singing telegrams. And oh, wow. she was talking about how hard it was to continue her job because... I mean, the September 11th yeah, happened, yeah. and Who wants but to it was fun, But it was fascinating because that production, people needed to laugh. Right. People needed to just get their emotions, you know, out. So they talked about that mm-hmm. experience, and so we've had people come on to talk about. We've had, um, we did uh, there was a production I did Candide, um, which is you know Voltaire, and we had Dave Moshler on, who was the artistic musical director. Yeah. And Rachel Deathridge, who was one of the singers, and she is a mezzo soprano. You know, she has delved into theater and as well as delving into um, opera. the opera. Mm-hmm. And they talk about their experiences. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's one of the reasons why the yay is not only do we talk about, you know, the business of theater and, you know, should we teach method acting or not or do you, should you go to school or not or whatever, but also people just sharing their memories mm-hmm. and the bonding that they still have over production that was gone long, long ago, but they yeah. still have those memories. Also, Texas Chainsaw. We had Chris Cassell <laughs> yeah. and Corey Bytoff, Texas Chainsaw Musical. So It was neat hearing their different <laughs> perspectives on it, yeah. So that was fun. 
So I'm very, very proud of, you know, the yay. I mean, we've had pretty cool years. Norma, was there one episode this year that struck out to you that... No, it's so funny because I will leave home and my wife will say, who are you talking to today? And I'm like, I have no fun. is <laughs> inviting somebody, but they get in the seat and they start talking and I'm like, whoa, either we do have connections that I didn't realize yeah. or like uh, the last guy, Reg, Reggie. Um, yeah, Reg Wilkins. Yeah. Um, I was desperately looking for a black, older black actor last summer. Couldn't find anybody. I'm calling. People were giving me names. Thankfully, I got dozens of names. He was somebody that we went back and forth a couple of times trying to see if we could make it work. And ultimately, we couldn't. The production that he was in apparently was not a good experience. He was not happy about it. I'm like, yeah, but the production I ended up putting together barely paid the actors. So I anybody put gave me any resistance. I was like, please don't. And he's like, but I want to work with you. And I'm like, well... I want to work with you too. I mean, that's that's the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully we'll all come together. But yeah, I'm, I no, I'm. There've been, you know, I love it when we bring some young person on and they talk about stuff that, you know, the the putting us in the position of oh, we are old veterans, we know what's going on. That I'm not as interested in. It's more mm-hmm. interesting when they talk about something where I'm like, oh shit, yeah, I guess that's true for you at your age, the way things are now. Yeah, say more. We want to hear about that. I, you know, I kind of get a kick out of that. Yeah, it's been really cool. I mean, I think about Lily Janik coming on as a, um, as a journalist, and we had Mallory who <clears throat> was a guest host. And also, I want to thank our guest hosts. There are times where you've been busy. Either yeah. you were in Paris this year. Yep. Uh, you, you know, were involved in a bunch of other productions. Or the summer, yeah. Where yeah, I exactly. So Lily Janet came on and she talked about, you know, her getting into journalism and also just uh, her worrying that if she gives a bad review or a good review, what will that affect, you know, yeah. theater companies and yeah. will a theater company fold or what power does right. a journalist have? Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, she told her side, of, you know, her her story, yeah, her perspective, yeah. her perspective. We also had a lot of folks talk about um, their. Oh, I have a clipboard right here to talk about it. <laughs> But we've had a lot of folks who talk about their one one person shows, and that's been oh, a, yes. a lot. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm not really, I don't quite understand the trend or why it happened in 20. But there were tons of one person shows. That well, makes sense. Fred Pitts had Aren't You, mm-hmm. which had you know a bunch of revivals at the Marsh. We've had uh, Jessica Mealy talk uh, her play Eat the Mama, which is one person show right. about motherhood. Mm-hmm. And about the difficulties that she's had, you know, being a mother, of course, loving her child, but hating the process and her dealing with her husband. And she made it into a comedy. Right. Um, and also uh, Tina D'Elia. She came on to talk about Overlook Latinas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are all sorts of people who are using one-person shows and using The Marsh, who has found a pretty good oh, yeah. model. Well, the Marsh has been doing it forever, but coming out of the lockdown, mm-hmm. people, that creative energy needed someplace to go. And so we're getting the benefit of it. And when I first got to the Bay Area, which was mid-80s, there was a huge, nationally, there was a huge solo thing going on. Uh, Spalding Gray. I was just going to say Spalding yeah. Gray. Um, and, really but it, it all off. kinds of tiny little places that don't exist anymore in the city. Go and see a show. You sit down and there's literally, like Spalding Gray, somebody sitting at a little folding table yeah. with a notebook and a couple of props and just bam. Yeah. And... I hope we're I hope we're hitting that again. I, I would love to see that come back. Well, it, it's also the most economic, yeah, of course, form of, of theater because well, only and COVID, one actor. you know, it's yeah. just you and and maybe a director. Yeah, 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, I almost forgot Tasha. Harry Tasha. Clark was a really good show, too. Harry Clark, yeah. But also uh, Tasha. Tasha, yes. And uh, Tasha received an award for... Oh, did it? Um, it's... I, uh, I can't bring... I'm not even online. But okay. in any case, I think uh, I think uh, San... I want to say San Jose... Um, Mercury, Mercury News, News. Mm-hmm. had their top 10 performances of 2023, and Tasha was one of them. Mm. But that was a one-person show, because Cat Brooks, the writer, wanted to talk about a very serious situation, a black woman who was killed in custody mm-hmm. in Virginia. Mm. So these one-person the shows... powerful performer bringing it to life. That's right, Janae Simon, who oh, was just magnificent. God. So you, we have that. We also had folks who, um, you know, there were, there were theater companies that folded, but there were theater companies that, were, that uh, came to life, like Eclectic mm. Box Theater, uh, Eclectic Box San Francisco, hmm. which is the theater company that focuses on 70s horror movies. Wow. <laughs> they rewrite um, horror movies or whatever. And they got and, a space? And Yeah, they have a space. So it's the old, uh, oh, shucks, I can't. I'm not online, but not I can't. The Victoria. Uh, no, not the Victorian. It's a, it's another space, but it's near that that area. Oh, okay. Um, Danny Spinks and Joe Waterman they are running it. So mm-hmm. they talked about how excited they are that they can open up, uh, uh, you know, a new theater space. Did, did you guys um, uh, piano fight? Yeah. Did Did you guys? What was the guy who ran piano fight? Oh, there were a few. Um, yeah, we never had him on. No, no we kept trying to set up, uh, and I'm trying to remember his name now. Uh, there but was they didn't a, make it through the pandemic. No, no, no. They and I think maybe apparently it's got because in, they were for profit, and they tried to expand over to the East Bay. So they were trying to run two spaces, uh, and I think that probably took them down. They might have had trouble acquiring a lot of the funding that yeah. nonprofits were. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, the space. I think Piano Fight was at the space that Lower Bottom Players is at right now. Yeah, uh, which is also the, flight the former, deck. former flight, it was the flight deck. deck. They yeah. took over the flight deck, yep. and then it just didn't. Audiences weren't ready to come back at that point. So, right, you know, new venue, new, you know, huh. no, same thing you were saying. Don't know what the show is going to be. Don't know what's going on. There's no word of mouth. Mm-hmm. I think they were hoping that the energy that kept them going in the city would would translate, which was pretty astounding. Um, just it was. The, the whole trajectory of that of piano fight, I thought, mm-hmm. was really impressive. Yeah, no, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, you have a restaurant. Well, it's a bar, really. I don't know. It if had been a restaurant. It had been original Joe's. Right. Yeah. Huh. And yeah. they, you know, sort of mixed, you know, theater, you know, bringing in performances and also promoting a lot of uh, writers to write, let's say, pieces surrounded by the bar. And other talent. There were mm-hmm. uh, improv troops, musical work acts. Yeah. There was all kinds of things going musical on. Musical cafe. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I did my one musical uh, thing, Nia, that, oh, was at, that was at Piano. Piano Fight. That was oh, at Piano nice. Fight. Yeah. So. Oh, that's another one that's gone. Uh, Bay Area Children's Theater. Oh, right. what a shame. Woo, just out of nowhere suddenly I people I, I talked to people who were actually involved with the company going yeah I heard about it when it was like announced and, yeah you know there was no no big discussion of it so there are theater companies who have folded in 2023 there are theater companies who are reviving you know mm-hmm. lower and bottom place has a new space in 2023 eclectic box San Francisco there's also Mike Tootin's uh, show uh, in is it NFX NFX theater yeah you know yeah. they're they're um it sounds like they're gonna, you know. Well, the whole yeah, the whole uh, playground incubator crew. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. So yeah, and, and the whole playground yeah. trajectory has been huge as well, and they've gone to other cities and stuff. Now. Yeah, the the growth to other cities. Um, the um, freight and salvage has turned into a nice relationship. 
You know, uh, mm-hmm. the rep wasn't ready to bring outside folks in, so we couldn't go back to Berkeley Rep. And instead, Freight and Salvage was like, sure, Monday, <laughs> come on in, have a good time. <laughs> and now they're liking us. They're like having us there. And it's growing. It's growing in some nice ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're, it's 1242. We were like an hour and a half oh, in, but it's, but, okay. it's, but it's magnificent. Um, any thoughts for 2024? Are we, um, you know, I, I so one cool thing that's going to be happening with the yay. I mm-hmm. talked with Corinne Ritchie of uh, Plethos. Apparently they're trying to work to get a space in Castro Valley, a permanent space. Mm-hmm. And I guess they're doing some outside event and they've asked the yay to do an outside um, uh, episode, special episode. Where it'll be in front of a live audience. Oh wow! I oh guess wow! It'll be live streaming. Oh, you didn't tell me that part. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, it's going to be, and they're going to handle the tech and all of this stuff. Probably a mixture between uh, um, their tech and, and me. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be awesome. And this is one of those things where, out of the blue, I had no idea. I thought Plesos had sort of moved on, mm-hmm. but I guess they had us in mind. So that'll be a very, very cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but other things going on in 2024. I mean, are you optimistic? I haven't even asked you about the election. I mean, there's this. Uh, brick in the air, you know, this looming threat of Trump <laughs> maybe taking office again. Trump apocalypse. Yeah. Trump apocalypse. But uh, I mean, are you optimistic about 2024 theatrically, um, spiritually? You know, how, how do you feel about the future? That's a tough one. Um, theatrically, I'm very excited about the season we've got in place, which is very political in nature um i that might be overstating a little bit um there's you know we always look at the politics of Mm -hmm. what we're doing as we develop the play um i would say um nationally speaking it's a it's a really frightening time i mean there's uh the election is it's it, it, it's it's tough. I mean, I, 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 where do your you know where do you go with the options we have? I don't know. It's uh, yeah. It's just that's dispiriting and frightening. I think because um, there just don't seem to be any good options. Yeah, are you worried about the binary nature? I mean, there is you know Robert F Kennedy yeah. is an independent, and uh, I strongly believe that if. Let's say if Trump doesn't win the nomination, he can easily run as an independent. Um, so, but you are you are right. You know, if it's, it appears binary, it's either Biden or Trump, or maybe Nikki Haley if she wins um, the nomination. I mean, there are already two states that are are trying to keep him off of the ballot. I don't know if that's going to survive the Supreme Court. And there's some that's issues. That's just with- one of many many political stories surrounding the election that are un- that are unfolding. I yeah. mean, there's all the all the cases, you know, all the yeah. indictments. Norman, you heard about Maine trying yes! to take Trump off of the ballot. I love it. And I love the way the right wing is taking everything they've been arguing for and flipping it. Yeah. You know, states' rights, states have a right to determine what their goes on in their state. And suddenly it's like, no, they can't do that. Let the voters decide. Let no. the voters decide, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if the Supreme, the whole Fourteenth Amendment. I don't want to get. I don't want to get too, you know, wonky about that. But there is about you know the freedom of uh, of um, being able to choose. You know, there's going to be an argument that the people of either Colorado or Maine or or mm-hmm. other states that may want to take somebody off the ballot. Do they have? If I don't have the freedom to, you know, 
select my candidate, yeah. then are my rights being violated? You know, right. There's a little yeah. bit of well, that. That'll be the argument. We'll see what the Supreme And then Court there's says. a third clause of the 14th Amendment that gets into, well, someone, if they if they were a part of an insurrection yeah. or if they engaged were... Engaged in... Engaged, yeah. yeah that's Not the convicted, word. Engaged, but engaged in insurrection. Well, yeah. And so whether, because he's been accused of it, mm-hmm. but he hasn't been... So was he, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it, it gets to that gray area of... Right. Um, whether you decide he was engaged or wasn't engaging in. I mean, right. I know how I feel about it. Right. Yeah. I don't know that there's a legal definition for engaged. Right, exactly. Right. Which is why the Supreme Court may throw out these yeah. uh, these opinions. Yeah, well, but in any case, I'm sorry, I, I cut into you, but how, how do you... So, yes, it is a dangerous time, but, I mean, do you feel... Optim- I mean, I still feel that. I mean, I honestly feel that America, especially with its diversity, are still very, very... Um, I mean, the squeaky wheel <laughs> gets... It's louder, but... We still, even when Trump was elected in 2016, three million more people voted for Hillary Clinton. Right. So I still think we're a very liberal country um, that embraces diversity, whatever. I mean, there are the squeaky wheels that the right wing pockets that still love Trump. I just can't, I don't know. Maybe I'm more optimistic. Maybe I'm more polyamorous. I like that term. (laughs) Polyanna-ish or polyamorous? I'm sorry. Polyannish. Polyannish. Polyamorous. I like that. No, 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 no. Polyannish. I I, I don't know. It's it's a real drama. It is. Um, You know, it puts succession to shame um, (laughs) in terms of the suspense that's building about what the hell is going to happen. It's really really difficult uh, to anticipate and it's just it's anxiety and inducing um, Mm -hmm. because the stakes seem really high I mean it it seems as if democracy itself is on the ballot Mm -hmm. Um, I mean that's one way to look at it Um, I think some might think that's an overstatement others I think would not (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Um, so you know, I, I, I'm I, I'm kind of sentimental about democracy. I, I, I think it's a good thing. I would really? not like to lose it. Absolutely. Um, I think I think I know that about myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, the, the, uh, but there's going to be there's, there's gonna, it's going to be a fight. I mean, there's one thing. If there's one positive thing about the negativity mm-hmm. of politics, it shows that democracy—it's not just an idle thing that you that will always be there. It it needs work. It's almost like a house. Well, you know, more like people me. are engaged. More yes. people are involved in the mm-hmm. electoral process now mm-hmm. than have ever been. Yeah, we'll see what that means. Yeah. It's that rickety house. I mean, you know, you think the house will always be the same. <laughs> you need to work on it. Yeah. Work on the roof. Piping, you know, whatever it is, foundation. That's democracy. Anyway, (laughs) thank you so much. Uh, Let me uh, get these out of the way. Um, Charles Blades Barbershop, they are also a sponsor of the Yay, and we want to thank them. Uh, My little script. Here it is. Uh, They are located at 182nd Street in downtown Oakland. They're a very cool, relaxing place where you can get your cuts, and they will serve you a complimentary drink. They also sell hair products, hair gels, pomades, shampoos, and conditioners. Hop online, give their products a try, and support minority businesses like my man Charles Blades, cbb.hair. Thank you for for them supporting (laughs) us. And... um, there are a couple of shows. I mean, do we want to get into birthdays or whatever? Or we can do birthdays. Sure. 
Well, especially since we're at the end of the year. So yes. Sophia Ahmad is, it's her birthday today. And right she is somebody I worked with on a Jeannie Baroga play. So, huh. yay. Um, and tomorrow, I love these folks because they're all the New Year's Eve. I have two. Three. Three. Uh, Joanne Winter, um, co-artistic huh. um, director of Word for Word. Yeah. Amazing actor, wonderful friend. And we got to be in Paris together. So that was... <laughs> cool in fact we played husband and wife and people kept saying you guys have to do this again you're so good on stage together <laughs> both of us were just kind of going i i'm just sort of following your lead like it was that that shadowing game it never was one or the other of us leading it was always us just sort of going yes and uh david fissel who i went to high school with his birthday is also tomorrow um and i'll never forget him um he played um he was in uh, Guys and Dolls, um, Unsinkable Molly Brown. We did a bunch of mm-hmm. high school musicals together. Um, and he lives in Northern California, so I get to see him every now and then. Uh, Jordan Weiner um, is yeah. a Bay Area guy. And I think he's living in Vegas now. He goes by J-Dub. <laughs> oh, wow. His birthday is tomorrow. Huh. Um, and then the uh, kids for the first, uh, Gina Fields. I was doing shows with Theater Rhino way back in the day. And got to meet these performers that I didn't see under any other circumstances. Gina was making the circuits as a a comedian, stand-up comedian, on the sort of gay, lesbian circuit. I didn't know there was such a thing. Really funny, really wonderful. Uh, Richard Bunker is somebody I met as an actor in the Bay Area. He's also been a director. Um, and then I got to see Tony Kelly last week. He's also a January 1st baby. Tony Kelly. Tony wow. Kelly. We uh, we had just finished a show at the now Potrero stage, formerly yeah. Thick House. The and Thick House. Uh, we were at Bloom's, which is a gorgeous little bar. And we're sitting there with a beautiful view of downtown. And as I park, I see Tony walk by. So I yell out the window, hey, Tony. And he hits the corner and doesn't look back. So I had his number in my phone. And I'm like... Dude, you just walked past me. So he ended up coming back. We we almost closed the bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, hey. So his birthday's coming up. And then um, one last one is Jane Wenger, whose birthday is on the second. And um, Jane oh, I've actually got some other ones. I just those were ones I wanted to make sure I acknowledge the actual date of. Um, but uh, Jane Wenger I met when she was running the uh, Bay Area Playwrights Foundation. And um, and then was a member and is still a supporter and a wonderful director who occasionally joins us on playground. So that's been cool. I knew I had more, but those were the ones that are coming up immediately. I want to mention Michael Lynch just because um, even though he is past, um, he was a Bay Area actor and director. A lot of people probably know him because he, they kept doing the meeting every year. The you know supposed Malcolm X, um, Martin Luther King Jr. meeting. Um, hmm. Brian Yates Sharber, wonderful performer, singer, uh, Desdemona Chang, um, was a wonderful stage manager in the Bay Area, and then I think started doing like state uh, opera. Mm, stage she's manager. a director. Oh, Desdemona, I'm confusing her with somebody else. Desdemona is up in, uh, or was up in Ashland. Ashland, yeah. Yeah, 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 thank you. Confusing people. Um, Armando McLean um, is one of the first people I ever worked with who I gave them a job, and then they went on to do stuff. He's also, I don't know if he's back up. He had to take some time off his mother pass this year. Oh. Um, but um, dear, he's been dear up in Ashland. Love. 
Armando. Armando is fantastic, but he credits me with giving him his first job, Oakland Public Theater. So, hey. <laughs> really? Yeah, theater job. Um, Javier Reyes, uh, somebody I've known through um, <clears throat> Each One Reach One, um, runs all kinds of youth programming in the city, writing and uh, acting. Sean J. West, we were talking about. I should have left that for you. And uh, the last one I've got for this coming week is Roman Gonzalez, um, young actor that I met through... Uh, Red Ladder, who I've only, I've known about them for many, many years, but I finally got to work with them last year. Hmm. And uh, he was, he's one of their um, performers and teachers. And then I also want to give a special acknowledgement out to uh, Tammy Berlin, mm-hmm. whose um, father just passed. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, that's so, right. So, you know, it's not a birthday, but it is a, an, an, Condolences, a, yeah. an event worth noting. Absolutely. Um, so our thoughts are with Tammy and her family. Yeah, yeah Tammy, our thoughts and prayers are with you, most certainly. Um, my list, um, I have, let's see here. Um, I graduated from Duke Ellington School of the Arts, and uh, uh, one of the person who graduated with me was a guy named Demarcus Williams, an amazing dancer. Uh, his birthday was yesterday, December the 29th, so mm. Demarcus, if you're listening, hey, what's up, man? And uh, happy birthday to you. Also, uh, two days ago, Amanda Clemens, I was in a play, uh, One Ten in the Shade, mm. and it was a big, big cast, and there were a couple of young folks who were, I think, just out of high school, and she was one of them who was got to be on stage. Mm. Um I don't know if we mentioned Rebecca Ennels. Um, yeah, you, you she's the, she was the artistic director of a San Francisco Shakespeare Festival. Yep. Now she's a freelance director and she's been working with ACT. Yep. Hmm. Her birthday was, excuse me, sorry. two years ago. I'm sorry, two, two days, days ago. ago. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry about that. She skips every year. Yeah. Anyway, um, tomorrow, Lynn Aylward, and we've had her on. She's a budding playwright. And um, mm. she, uh, she and I, we met working with the Playwright Center for San Francisco, so her birthday's tomorrow. Also tomorrow, one of the first playwrights that I've worked with, and he was the founder of Bay Stage, uh, Michael Thomas Tower. And the connection that you have, Gary, with uh, Bay Stage, uh, I'm looking at a poster called Water Buffalo, and that was written by John Whittle Utter, who I think was a student of yours. I think you had mentioned him. Wow, I remember the name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, a um, he was a featured writer uh, with Bay Stage, and he wrote this wonderful play. Unfortunately, that was the last production that we had at Bay Stage. But John Will Utter, I have no idea where we uh, found him. I think he's John Will Utter's in L.A. now. But in any case, Michael Thomas Tower, he is now in San Diego. But he was a um, a minister turned playwright. He gave up the ministry, um, came out, <clears throat> and. Um, you know, found his uh, niche in playwriting and Bay Area theater, and put up a little ad on uh, this is this is going back in the late nineties um, mm-hmm. on AOL America Online, <laughs> <laughs> the days before wow. Craigslist and all of that stuff. Uh, basically saying, hey, I'm looking for writers and actors, and I'm going to produce a create a theater company. You know, join me, and I did, and yep. that was my first foray of Bay Area theater, mm-hmm. Bay Stage. So, Michael. Happy birthday. That was, His birthday was yesterday. Uh, let's see. You mentioned Armando. Uh, Armando, yes. Yeah. Also, um, let's see, Javier Reyes, uh, Armando McLean. Jonathan Levy, his birthday will be on the 4th. He is a director. I worked with him with um, Musical Cafe. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is a fantastic uh, person um, that I've worked with uh, there. 
Uh, also on Saturday, well, we'll have it. We'll have a thing Saturday, so that's it. We and you mentioned Sean J. West. Uh, there are just a couple of shows. Uh, there's the Laramie Project. Well, actually, um, let me do Sleeping Beauty. That's at the Presidio Theater. Their last show is tonight. Echo Yamamoto and Sharon Shaw are in that, so we have a link for that. Um, in January, excuse me, there will be Misery uh, at the Palo Alto Players. January the 19th through February the 4th. Uh, it's based on the Stephen King novel and film directed by Kimberly Ridgway. <laughs> oh, wow. That's where I've heard of that. Before. So uh, we have a link for that. Also on the uh, opening January the 19th will be the Laramie Project. That'll be Stage Bridge. Uh, Eli Sonny Orkiza will be directing that. And it'll be, um, we. I think we know the story, uh, the Matthew Shepard story. Mm. Um, and Stage Bridge, they're our theater company that focuses on the elderly. The, el- the actors yeah. are, are elderly. And uh, that'll be just, um, it looks like three days, the 19th, 20th, and the 21st. Also, <clears throat> Mixed Metaphors will be uh, being playing at the Cutting Ball Theater. February the 2nd through the 18th, Radhika Rao will be in that show. And she was talking about it being an experimental theater where there'll be action on stage and then the actors stop and talk and engage with the audience to say, hey, what do you think about that scene and what do you think about this and that or whatever? So that, hmm. that'll be interesting. That's that. And um, there are a couple of podcasts we want to push, uh, not only just ours, but Barry Graves has the Black Man's Heart, so check that out. Hmm. Mallory Samara, her day job is KCBS Radio, and she is producing two shows, As Prescribed and It's Generational. We always promote the Central Work Script Club. <laughs> That's a podcast where you can download and read a play script and then listen to an audio interview with the playwright. It is delivered semi annually. Uh, Aaron Henney, we've talked about him. Uh, he runs theater uh, Dybbuk in L.A., and he has the Dybbukast. Through a combination of performed readings and interviews with artists and scholars, the Dybbukast brings these creations and their historic contexts to life, all while revealing their relationships to issues still present today. Deborah Cortez has a podcast called Let's Talk About Grief. She was very open when she came on the EA about the loss of her son. That mm. happened a couple of years ago. And she talks about her grief. And she brings on guests, and they sort of get into the ins and outs of you know how to deal with grief. And so we want to uh, promote that. And lastly, Bindlestiff has the Fobcast, exploring Philippine-American immigrant stories. Check out the Fobcast on any podcast app. We have our jerseys, and Gary, I'm going to give you one of our jerseys. Ah, yay! <laughs> cool. You get to choose either black, white, or pinstriped. Uh, i got to find one because you're a tall guy, so I'll have to find one that's uh, your size. But anyone who wants uh, the A jersey, and we want to thank people who, who have bought the A jerseys in this past year. Uh, it helps us. It helps the podcast. It's $30. You can DM me, PM me, whatever the kids say, and uh, we, I will <laughs> hook you up as long as you um, give me $30, and that's it. That is it. Uh, my God, it's been two hours, but we've had a lot of fun. Gary, did you enjoy yourself? Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's great to see you guys again. Yeah. And, uh, Doesn't uh, feel like Have a great years, 2024 with the yay and everything else you're doing. Yeah, mm. no, thank you so much. And, you know, obviously Central Works is doing fantastic. And to find time to sponsor us, the yay is wonderful. So we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring us. Um, 
And we're on all podcast apps. We're on that purple podcast app on your phone or iPad. We're on Spotify. We're on Overcast. We're on SoundCloud. And we're on Amazon Prime. Just go on music.amazon.com and search for The A and you will find us. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. We're at... um, I'm at Red Space Clay. I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. And Gary, uh, you have a um, you're on Spotify and, and I'm sorry, you're on um, SoundCloud. You are on uh, social media, right? Do you do, you do um, like Twitter and um... website? <laughs> not, not really. To no, be no. My email is Gary at CentralWorks. Okay. Org. Yeah, mm-hmm. and people can find you on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Instagram. That was the name I was looking Instagram, for. Instagram. Yeah. That thing. Yeah. Anyway, um, if you're looking to, um, if you want to reach out to Central Works or you know collaborate with Gary and be a part of his uh, playwriting class, um, you, you, or, you know, yeah, get some pointers on writing. Yeah, exactly. Well, that is it. Everyone have a wonderful 2024. Um, oh, wow. You know, enjoy your New Year celebrations. And as Norman and I always say. We gotta find a better sign off. Happy holidays, everybody. Take care.